2: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise.
1: Welcome back to the Winning Plays Podcast. I am Rich Levine. B-Rob is still out on dad duty. Tonight, once again, I'm joined by Tom Westerholm, who writes about the Celtics over at Boston.com. Tom, how are you doing on this Wednesday night? Doing great, man. How are you? Pretty good. I'm Actually, especially good because we have a special guest, Mr. Ryan Bernardoni. Ryan, how are you doing? You, you know, you give people a scare. On Twitter earlier this month. It's
0: true. Yeah, I don't know. It's not like I've never disabled my account before for a period of time, but nobody's ever cared or noticed before. I was just busy at work. Like, I have a really busy month at work. And so I turned it off. And uh, I don't know. I guess people noticed this time.
1: Can I can I read you a, a message I got from a listener?
0: Um, okay. Yeah. Is it going to ask if I'm
1: suicidal or something because the team was losing? No. That's no. what I was getting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's not that a deal. I just have work. I thought you were just burnt out after the trade deadline. That's well, I'll tell you what, 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 this listener, Adam said. He said, he opens it very abruptly. He says, "Rich, are you all, are you all all okay? He said, I noticed you haven't potted lately. You haven't tweeted in a while. And it looks like Ryan just left Twitter. He said, I just wanted to check in and send my well wishes. So what, so you're okay. We can tell Adam that you're feeling all right. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm fine. I'm still busy at work, but uh Red Sox owner, John Henry tried to destroy my, my soccer team. And so I had to, Turn my account back on to uh, to register my uh, dissatisfaction, along with millions and millions and millions of other people around the world. Um, already regret turning it back on, uh, <laughs> but if you think that's bad, I believe rob somebody texted him while he was in the hospital uh, <laughs> to ask if he knew where I was. Dude, so that's one. That's the one where I was like, "All right, I guess I need to like put out a message
1: or something." <laughs> with did, my, did, yeah. did you put out? Did you put out and an, an I'm okay, or did you just start? Yeah, tweet, with my, my other account,
0: again. I. Yeah. I have an account with no followers that I was just, I, I sent it to a couple of people. I was like, can you just retweet this? So like people know that it's fine. I'm like just busy at
1: work. Okay, good. So you're here to say you're okay. I think all our listeners are going to appreciate that.
0: Nobody appreciated that. I re-enabled it. And then they immediately lost after a six game winning streak when I was <laughs> offline. I, I heard a lot about that. Uh,
1: so I'm sorry. Have you tweeted shout about, to- sorry, go ahead, Tom. I was going
2: to say, shout out to listener Adam, man. Like, uh, like dude, cares about everyone wanted to wanted to check in that's a that's a, that's a good it, was, guy. It,
1: it was really sweet so i mean i wrote back to him and i was like you know b-rob had a baby i said I, I said i think ryan just needed a little a little detox after the trade deadline i didn't know i wasn't going to bother you i wasn't going to bother b-rob while he was in the delivery room do you know who it was who who, who, who texted baby. him
0: <laughs> um no i i don't know but i will say that when this kind of thing happens in lakers twitter it's a bigger deal <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wish it would be a lot more interesting if you were fake. Still might be, especially the first, the first few times we did this, you you didn't come on the, uh, the video. It was just the audio. That would have been, if you had kept that up, we could maybe leak that out there. Anyways. Yeah. So Adam, Adam wrote back. He said, that's good to hear. I was worried about you guys. When you listen to the same guys over and over, it becomes surprisingly intimate. Congratulations to B Rob. Fatherhood is wild. Thought that was a very sweet message from Adam.
0: Absolutely. Shouts to Adam. This is, I'm assuming this is the same Adam who, when we had our daughter, uh, sent me some uh, Celtics and other Boston-themed baby clothes. No so okay. nice guy.
1: Is he, was he, is he an MD? Yes. Yeah. Okay, same yeah. guy. And he'll be happy to know that, that you are okay. The Celtics, yeah, I mean, they're okay. It, it, maybe most teams that are losing to the Bulls these days are not okay. But short Kemba, short Fournier, short Smart. Um, Tom this is probably wildly irresponsible. I I don't know. Is, are we assuming this is vaccination related? Some of these, these illnesses and. Oh, I mean,
2: I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) I guess I hadn't necessarily, I guess I hadn't necessarily considered that Brad Stevens was asked today about, um, vaccinations, uh, in generally just kind of, he kind of brushed it aside a little bit, just said, you know, like some members of the, the team, like the coaching staff, the team traveling party have been, so I don't know, actually, uh, it's, it, it's certainly possible. That would
1: explain quite a bit. That's when Jalen's questionable with like a sore shoulder. Sore so left that shoulder.
2: One, yeah. That one I think is, is legitimate. Uh, after the last game he was holding it. And then Brad um, talked post game about how um, like he, he said like he, Jalen really felt it and they were going to get it checked out. Um, so I, I do think that one, that one, I think is definitely a, a legitimate one. Um, as opposed to a, a, a vaccination absence
1: i'm kind of interested I, I i like so is is kemba out for thursday against phoenix is that right kemba is probable
0: so i
2: probably i think now. it sounds like he'll be back yeah
1: i was hope-
0: uh, Jalen, Go. Jalen's probably out right Jalen He's is out. doubtful uh rob and fournier are both out uh i guess brad didn't mention it but tatum is questionable again right with he- his ankle
2: yeah, and then Tatum and said then, when Tatum was asked about it and he said, like, I'm I'm fine. I don't see any reason why yeah. I wouldn't play. So I would expect him to be in.
0: And then Kemba probable smart back, right? I think is the whole list. Yep. But you know, still a lot of absences.
1: Yes. Especially if Jalen's out. Are are they just blindly gonna play Kemba in the first game of all these back to backs? Again, like wouldn't it make more oh. sense? I <laughs> I can see it on your face, it would make more sense to save him against the potential number one seed in the West and then maybe take advantage of Kyrie in Brooklyn on Friday night. You would well, think so, with,
0: right? Is Harden going to be? Harden's going to miss that game. As, I think so. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah. just Kyrie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it really bothered me when, especially after Fournier was, uh, you know, was in COVID protocols, that they played Kemba against the Bucks and then didn't have him against the Knicks, and it worked out. They got blown out by the by the Bucks, but they beat the Knicks anyway. Um, but that one, I was like, that's just like bad planning, <laughs> um, particularly with the Knicks being a team that you're in direct competition with for seeding. I find it very odd that they aren't thinking seemingly at all tactically about how to deploy him.
2: Especially because because Kemba's played pretty well, um, like on whenever he has like extended rest, like it, it, like there feels like a pretty one-to-one like a pretty one-to-one like uh, correlation between him getting plenty of rest and then playing a lot better. So, you know, especially like on this one where, um, he would. Have, I mean, he'd what have like three days, three four days of rest before he took on the Nets. That that might. Uh, yeah, that might have made a difference.
1: And I wonder, with fans back in the stands, if there's any chance that Kyrie might come up with a reason not to play on Friday. I think that would be, that would be interesting.
2: Well, I believe that game is in Brooklyn. So I take it back. <laughs>
1: well, there will be fans. Do They have fans yes. at, at at Barclays yet?
2: Yeah. Oh, they've got like a whole setup. Uh, they they have like a whole. They had like some, some sweet setup that looked really nice. Uh, Barclays, Barclays is the real deal.
1: Nice. Yeah. I know I was talking to, uh, to Mike Pina the other day. and I think he said by the playoffs is when he should be able to start getting in there to report. So it's exciting times. Uh, Speaking of which I want to open up, I guess, open up. We're still, we're already a couple minutes in. I have a question for you guys. And cause Ryan texted me before the show, he said, there's not enough talk about the, the pie stat P I E which stands stands for player impact estimate total bullshit statistic but last night I'm I'm, I'm I'm messing around on nba.com just looking for anything that might jump out as an interesting conversation for the podcast today so the the player impact estimate you know it's, it's basically PER. ryan is that is that correct uh not it's
0: it was nba's like answer to PER. it's not a not calculated in a, in a particularly similar way to PER, but it's sort of of the same era of it's like not particularly advanced these days, but it was trying to, it was trying to be an early all in one measure for like how impactful is an individual player. Um, and it's just sort of still there on the NBA website. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I just, I was just clicking around like, sorting by every statistic to see where certain Celtics pop up. And again, you look at, you look at the top 10, Embiid, Jokic, LeBron, Giannis, Butler, Steph Curry, Luca, Harden, Kawhi—like it seems to to represent a a pretty select group of uh, of NBA player. Who do you think is, is number number one for the Celtics? If you if, who leads the Celtics and in and Pie again, I, I'm saying a bullshit stat, but just for just for conversation. Uh, <laughs> Rob Rob Williams is twenty. Oh, of course, in, that was, gonna be, yeah. that was,
2: gonna, that was <laughs> gonna be my guess. That was gonna that to be my guess.
1: Every he
0: leads every advanced stat. If it's not if it's a rate stat. Like he doesn't play enough minutes to lead on the things right. where you like add them all up, right? But any rate right stat, it's going to be Rob. Yep. So so right. Grant,
1: Grant
2: potentially, oddly enough, seems to be uh, spiking on a lot of those stats as well. But yeah.
1: Yeah, he's, that's another conversation. That's a, like, he, that's I can't figure that out quite yet. But anyway, so so Rob is twenty fifth, uh, Tatum twenty eighth, Jalen fifty second. Okay, and, I, and we know that this isn't the be all and the end all. It's a ridiculous statistic, but it just got me thinking. Like how if the Celtics are going to say, shock the world uh, in this postseason. Like, I think we're get, at to the point now where we're maybe not quite as worried about the play-in situation and stuff like that. But if the Celtics are to shock the world in any kind of way, both Tatum and Jalen, I think, need to step up their games even more. So my question for you guys is, in, wh- in what ways can those two guys be even more impactful than they are so far? Uh, and Tom, I'll let you go first on 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 Tatum, right? So, like, you would like you would like to think that these two guys, among the best duos in the NBA, and it's not just about the stat, but you you would you would like to see them be more impactful if they were going to raise the ceiling on this Celtics season. So, how can Jason Tatum be a more impactful player?
2: I mean, I I think honestly, I think we just need to see like more of the same from him, like more of like what we've seen over the last like ten days or the last ten games. Like, he's uh, he's getting to the rim more often. He's taking like he's making a good amount of his threes. Like it just it feels to me like like there really was just kind of this like blip where he was and you know a fairly lengthy blip. Like blip might not be the right word, but there was this like lengthy stretch where um you know COVID really affected him and just kind of getting back in the swing of things while you know trying to trying to be able to breathe again um like really affected him. Now he can and and it feels like I I think over the last couple of last couple of weeks, I mean I'm not sure what else you can really ask for from the guy. Like he he's been really good offensively. He's been, you know, pretty good defensively. I feel like um, we were talking about this on, uh, over on Geno time yesterday. I I think he probably was a a bit better defensively last year where I think you saw more deflections and that kind of thing from him. But um, this year, I mean, you know, like we'll see how that kind of ramps up in the playoffs. If, if, you know, maybe it's a focus thing or whatever it might be. So maybe you could say the defensive end, but I think offensively like he's carrying this team and, and especially over the last two weeks, he's really been um, a lot more like himself.
1: Yeah, no, i so say 17 guys in the NBA are averaging more than 25 points a game this year and Tatum, Kyrie and Jokic are the only three that take fewer than, than five foul shots a game. But over yep. this stretch that you're talking about in April, I think he's up over six. So that's nice to see, uh, Ryan. And again, for me, defense is big for me, like career low in blocks. And I know that's not everything either, but you know, it doesn't seem to be impacting the game there as much. Ryan, what are your thoughts on him defensively? Is it really just like, he's just going to step it up more in the, in the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, I think that's been, uh, the, the two most
0: notable things about his game this year when he, hasn't been playing all that well and this is jason in particular um is one he was not an efficient scorer from that period from when he came back from covid through the all-star break he just you know he was scoring he was putting up volume of points but not efficiently in any manner and since the all-star break um other than really the last game when he was what three for 17 or whatever in, in his triple double uh, that has really bounced back and he's looked much more efficient i don't think the defense has bounced back in the same way his defense has not been as good this year some of that's I mean, all of it, maybe, is completely understandable. Like, whenever you see players take on a much larger load on the offensive end, usually their defensive involvement, their defensive energy drops because there's only so much energy available to you in a game. And if you add in the fact that your, like, lungs burn when you run, that would be a completely normal thing. Uh, In particular with him, I think between Jalen and Jason, like, where their defense has slipped is almost, like, in the worst worst way for the Celtics. Like, I think Tatum's on-ball defense has been – Maybe better than it has been in the past, and that his team defense, which is really exceptional uh, in his first couple of years, hasn't been particularly good this year. And Jalen's team defense, I think, has been a little—he's been a little bit more um, sort of engaged and and focused on that. And he still makes mistakes, but they're not as common as they were. And some of his on-ball stuff hasn't been quite as good. And just because of the nature of like Jalen plays more often on uh, sort of the better scorers that you're facing, and and Jason is more of a sort of roaming, rangy sort of defender, that's the opposite of maybe what you would want from from your um, sort of idealized defense. So I think that's been, been part of it. Uh, I think there are other things that are that we can talk about here, but like from the defensive end in particular, that's sort of what I noticed is, yeah, I mean, Jason's sort of steals are down even more than the, the blocks, maybe less concerning to me is some of the the steals and deflection stuff that, that Tom mentioned. Is Tatum going to make All-NBA this year? That's the biggest question I think right now. It's actually maybe a bigger question than even like do they get stuck in the play and like what seed do they land on? Um, And the seed that they landed may have a big impact on that, but it's like a really big question that I haven't heard a lot of people
1: talking about. So can you, can you just break that down really quick, Ryan, just about what that would mean for the, for the salary cap and and just for what the Celtics have to have to work with in terms of roster building.
0: Yeah. I mean, from a salary cap perspective, it doesn't really mean anything because they're going to be over the cap no matter what, but um, they did not negotiate any sort of scaling into his Rose rule. Provision. So his extension is signed. He gets 25% of the of the salary cap next year. 8% raises on top of that at a time when we are not expecting the cap to be raising 8% year over year. Um, so it will grow. Now we don't really know where it's gonna go, but to start, he's gonna get 25%. If he makes any all NBA team, that jumps up to 30%. And you figure that's you know over five million dollars. The cap's gonna be $112 million next year, 5% of 112. talking about, you know, five and a half million dollars. So uh, again, it doesn't really matter from a cap perspective, but the thing that we have talked about before is like, we don't really know what their appetite is for luxury tax payments. And will that appetite be lessened if they lose in the first round or if they have to come in through the playing game or, you know, if they make it to the conference finals, will it be, will they have more of an appetite for it? We really don't know where that's going to land. And so a lot of the sort of my guesstimates get really, really tough if you add another 5 million or, you know, five and a half million dollars just next year and then growing after that onto to Tatum's extension. Um, uh, Personally, like, I hope he makes it because he obviously would like to make it. And because I would rather he have the money than a bunch of billionaires, he's plenty rich as well. But um, in terms of like team building, you kind of would, I don't know, <laughs> does the team want him not to make it? I, does Wick grouse want him to make it? I think he would probably rather that he come in sort of seventh in, in voting among, I guess it's front court, right? So they would want him to come in 10th in voting for front court, not ninth um, and, and miss out. But we'll see it's going to get tight it's it's especially with so many guys injured if he plays through the rest of the season as he has the last couple of weeks uh, i think he would probably make it
1: tom do you know anyone with with votes do you, do, you, do you have a vote any chance
0: i i do not have a vote i can't influence this
2: one way or the other um do so ryan do, do you think is it kind of a situation where, where it, like let's say the celtics um you know play pretty well you know like you know maybe they like they maybe they win their first round series you know somewhat competitive in their second round series like if, if he's eating up a lot of that money, like if there's plenty of expensive guys on the roster, like does it like, if they don't feel that this is going to be a championship team, is it, is, is it the kind of money? And I mean, I, I should probably know this myself, but is it, is it the kind of money that like could, could force them to, you know, try to clear some space somewhere else? Is that kind of what you're thinking when you talk about this being that impactful?
0: Yeah. I mean, part of the reason that I was uh, sort of troubled by the trade deadline uh, is the expectation that they will try to keep Fournier longer term and that like the when I just add up the numbers, it's like, unless you think that they're gonna pay, unless you think they're gonna be $20 million over the luxury tax to begin with, like it's hard to see how exactly they're gonna put together a really competitive team, uh, re-signing someone like Fournier. That's why I was like, no, you need to get somebody with extra years who you who is at a deal. Like it's better to pay draft picks to get somebody with with run on their contract at a discount rate than having to pay full market price for for Evan Fournier, even if the player you get maybe isn't as good. Because it seems like where things are going is that they're going to have to move Kemba in some manner uh, or that they would, that would be the most likely way to do it, even with him playing better, with him playing better may help, but that, you know, if you have flexibility, you can take back players and not have to pay to get off him, or you can take back better players because you don't have to like worry so much about how you're cutting costs or something like that. If you're making other moves where your primary thing is like, well, we need to cut $10 million then what you're getting back for a player like Kemba may end up being worse. So you may have to pay more to move him. They may have to move smart. They may just decide that they can't re-sign Fournier. And then it was, you know, he played whatever, 12 games for them or 15 games for them and then got bounced in the second round. And it's like, okay, well, that just sort of this forgettable nothing that happened. Um, and those things become more probable if Jason's contract extension is, you know, is bigger because you would think they would have less money to work with. But again, this is something that I've talked about before That's like, it's all predicated on what I believe that their appetite might be for, for luxury tax payments. If I'm just wrong about that and they're like, yeah, we'll pay a hundred million dollars in tax in in the foreseeable future and they don't care and whatever, then great. That gets rid of a lot of my concerns. Like as a fan, that would be wonderful. It's just, I don't, I've said it before. Like, I just don't actually believe that they're willing to do that. Um, And until proven otherwise, like I'll happily be like, Hey, I guess I was just wrong about that. Like, this is really good news. If, if they, prove that differently but I do worry that it's like okay Taysom Taysom what Tatum will be the last guy to make all NBA and then they'll like re-sign Fournier because they feel like they have to but then that'll end up meaning that they trade smart for nothing at some time or that the the move they make for Kemba uh, is more of a salary dump than a sort of reshuffling of, of the pieces but this is all speculation and Nobody wants to hear about it right now, I suppose, because they have <laughs> been winning games, and we were supposed to be talking about what Jalen and Jason
1: can do to to uh, uh, improve their their PIE stat. <laughs> but that's that's what you don't understand. The pie that's just a jumping point, you know what I mean? I, I knew we'd end up somewhere like this where we're just busting the cap on. Just like you said, people aren't talking about this. This is basically exclusive podcasting. That we have. <laughs> well, going
0: so right I'll now. go back to the to the the question about Jalen and Jason though, and I think you touched on it as like the lowest hanging fruit. And they're not going to fix it this year because this isn't the kind of thing that happens like because you flip a switch. Although maybe what Jason has. So I was looking at all the guys who made All-Star this year. And there's 27 guys who made it because there were a couple injury replacements, people who sat out. Um, and Jason and Jalen are 21st and 23rd in free throw rate amongst those 27 players. And the player who sits in between them is the player who Jason gets compared to most frequently, probably is Paul George. But it's worth noting that when Paul George was at his best, his free throw rate was much higher. So when he was like fifth in MVP voting, it was significantly higher than where it is now. The guys who are behind them are Chris Paul, who's 35 years old. And when he was at his best, was an elite free throw grifter, like invented free throw <laughs> stealing moves, right? Mike Conley, 33, has never been an all-star until this year and was the last, was the 37th all-star, or the, the 27th guy into the all-star game. So not the level of player that we really want to be talking about here. And then the last two are Vucevic, who's like the weirdest, people don't think of him as being a weird player. Vucevic is like a supremely odd player for the NBA. He never draws fouls, even though he's seven feet tall center who plays a lot of offense. And then Kyrie. And people sometimes try to draw conclusions like, oh, they learn too much from Kyrie or something. I have no idea if that's true. I'm not, you know, who knows. But Kyrie is like the number one player in the league who plays to avoid contact. And now Kyrie has the the greatness that he can make really weird and difficult shots at the rim that Jalen and Jason do not have, but he is like the preeminent contact avoider. And to me, that's the easiest number one thing for both Jalen and Jason is that they just simply need to accept contact and play into contact. They far too frequently um, get a defensive player into a position where they're out of position. They beat a defender and that defender will either give them a hoop or foul them. And they contort themselves or, fade away or stop and turn and pivot around or glide past or whatever it is and functionally reward the defender for being out of position because they go so far out of their way to avoid this defender who is not going to be able to defend just if they were to stay on the same attacking line that they make their own shot more difficult and they don't draw fouls because of it. And they may complain about the fouls that they haven't drawn, but it's really troubling how low their free throw rates are compared to all of the other, other than Paul George at this point in his career, all of the other sort of big athletic wings. And to me, that's the simplest thing. Like, how do they have a, a larger impact? There's a lot of things. We've talked about the defense. You can talk about how their teammates could make more shots. Like, their assist rates would be better if they had better shot-making teammates. Uh, if they had teammates who were better playmakers and who could set them up more as play finishers instead of play creators, which they neither of them are great at right now still, improving but not great. But the first thing is just like, accept the contact when it's there take the fouls and go to the free throw line where jason is like an 85 percent free throw shooter and jalen is getting better at it and like that's the easiest lowest hanging fruit draw fouls and develop some little cheap free throw drawing moves while you're along the way but first and foremost just like don't avoid defenders who are going to foul you and you'll
1: be better <laughs> and, then, and then and then you start stealing some calls too right then once the refs get used yeah. to you know seeing you at the line and drawing fouls you'll draw more fouls
2: I really feel like too, that's something that I, I don't know if that's going to like fully maximize this year for Tatum, but I do think that's yeah. coming for him. Like, I, I think, I think he's going to, he's going to probably be like, I mean, like he, he put on so much muscle this off season. Like, I, I'm sure this is like something that's kind of new to him. But like if he, any of the Celtics coaches will tell you that he's somebody who learns things very, very quickly. I think one of the things that he was really focused on trying to learn this year was to be more of a playmaker. Um, and he's gotten a little bit better at that, you know, trying to beat the, the traps, the blitzes, that kind of thing. Like that was, that was a big focus for him. And I would not be surprised if, um, you know, kind of over given a, a more realistic off season, if just kind of working on things that are going to draw fouls, working on some of those, um, you know, some of those, those moves, those kind of, you know, throw your head back, that kind of thing. Um, if just kind of like, you know, going into defenders, all that kind of stuff that feels like a, like an off season project that could really, you know, vault him up a level next year. Yeah. I mean, I
0: agree that it's not going to happen. It's not going to change right now. The The problem I have with that is that this is what, this is his, I guess his second year, he had a lower free throw rate, but he hasn't improved like at all at that. Yeah. End, and now his fourth season. And I don't think it's so much like the the BS stuff, like the throwing your head back and stuff. Like, I think it's literally like, don't Euro step around the guy or don't try to glide past him and like flick the ball under his arm. Like just literally you beat the guy, stay on your attacking line, right to the rim. And they are either going to let you score or they're going to foul you. And just don't make your, don't make it any harder on yourself than saying, I beat this guy and I have a clear lane to the rim and the help is not going to make it. And if the help is there, he's getting much better at hitting those corner passes and, you know, draw the help, hit the kick, whatever, that's fine. But if the help isn't going to make the rotation in time, don't contort yourself to avoid the contact. And for Jalen, don't stop, pivot around and and take a fadeaway. Because even if you make them on a, at a decent rate, which he does compared to the rest of the league, it's not as good as going to the line for two free throws, even if you're a 75% free throw shooter, just accept the <laughs> foul. And it's, that would make like a huge difference for both of them.
2: <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned like, you know, I don't know if Kyrie taught them these things because in both of those instances, you can kind of see guys who previously were on the Celtics where with Tatum, I mean, Kyrie always avoids contact. Like he's, you know, and he's so good at it and Tatum, you know, tries to do some of that stuff where you mentioned, like, you know, trying to duck his hand under somebody else's hand. And then with Jalen, that, that stop and turnaround is just like, it's, it's like a vintage Gordon Hayward move. So I have no idea if like, <laughs> if they pick those up from those guys, they I mean, they probably had them on their own anyway, but it is kind of funny given the two departed all-stars uh, on the, on the Celtics that. Um, had very similar moves to the ones that, that we're talking about here with Tatum and
0: Brown. Well, and it's funny with, with Kyrie, like Kyrie's contact avoidance is probably the number one thing that has him at the level of player that he is instead of like a top 10 player. Same thing. If yeah, he literally yeah. just accepted the contact and went to the free throw line, like every other player of his caliber and skill does, then he would score more, more efficiently and he would just simply be a higher level of player. He, would, he wouldn't have two All-NBA you know appearances in his career. He would have more because he would be a better player. And, and you look at that in Hayward's free throw drawing, we know fell a lot when he came to Boston after the injury. He was a different player. Horford never really was a foul drawer at all. It's like they had Isaiah who like revolutionized parts of the game and made them change rules because he was so good at free throw shooting or free throw drawing. And then no one else in the entire Brad Stevens era has focused on that. And so there are a lot of other questions you can ask in there about how they're doing player development. And if they are focusing on these things in particular, like I've sort of been laughing this year that it looks like we've always thought of Maury ball as like threes and, and layups, but you look at James Harden and then Joel Embiid and like the core part of what Maury ball seems to be is actually kind of bullshit free throw drawing and like (laughs) having all these little tricks that you do to go to the line, like historic amount of times and then, and then shoot really well because Embiid's doing now what Harden had been doing in Houston. And it's like, so you do wonder how much of it is like, can you build an organizational philosophy around like conning the refs and having, having personal beliefs about accepting contact and going to the free throw line. And it's just something the Celtics don't have, or is it that they've just had players who are sort of wired in a particular way where that's not what they do, but it is troubling that. Particularly for Jason, even though we think it is something he could learn in the future, he has gotten worse at it um, as his on ball time has increased. And it really should be the opposite.
1: Uh, all right, guys. So uh, we have some children's bedtimes. We have some dinners to, on, on the West Coast to deal with. So I'm going to wrap this up with one last question. Uh, Jabari Parker, uh, when the playoffs come around, when it, when it really matters, uh, are we looking back at this week? Because, oh, remember when we thought Jabari Parker might actually make a difference on this team? Uh, or is he relegated to the end of the bench and not seeing much? Is Jabari Parker going to make an impact when it matters most this season? Tom?
2: I mean he's, he's played well <laughs> these first couple of games. Like I, I think when Brad I when I, I guess I didn't necessarily see it coming when Brad uh, when they when they signed him and then Brad said like hey we're potentially gonna use him as a small ball five like that was that was kind of a, a light bulb moment for me like oh like maybe this is just kind of insurance in case they don't feel like Grant Williams is ready to go and actually like play small ball center minutes in the postseason. Um, I mean I still have my doubts like he's like just not I I have a hard time seeing it with him defensively, (laughs) um, you know, at like pretty much like at most stages, but offensively, he can do some things like there's his mid post game has always been really good. Um, you know, he's playing hard, you know, he's definitely trying. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he, uh, you know, kind of, I'm sure as much as, as he probably doesn't like the Sacramento organization, I'm sure he, you know, kind of took that personally and kind of internalized like, okay, I have to, I have to hustle a little bit now to stay on an NBA court. So, um, I mean, again, I'm not ready to declare him a rotation player or anything like that, but, like, he's been better than I thought he would be, certainly.
1: Sure. Ryan, this this, this is the best this – is, this is the height of Jabari Parker as a Celtic? Yeah, I, I mean, for all that
0: his mid-post game might be, like, good compared to the league, there's, like, five guys in the league who have a mid-post game who are worth taking shots in the playoffs. Like, if Jabari oh. Parker is taking mid-range jump shots in the playoffs, then I'm going to throw my remote through the TV, like um, – <laughs> There's no, the thing that caught me out the most was, when Brad was like, well, we have a multi-year plan for him. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? The guy who you need to have a multi-year plan for is Grant Williams, um, who you it would seem like he would be most likely to take minutes from. If he's taking minutes from Ojalee, I don't really care. Uh, for all that people think about Ojalee as being like a defensive player, he's really not. Like, he's a terrible defensive player and Jabari, he's better than Jabari, but like, neither of them are impactful defensive players in any meaningful way. The difference is that Shemmy's offensive contributions come by making corner threes and Jabari's are maybe somewhat more dynamic or at least give you some different options for what you could do there. If the team is healthy, he should not be playing at all. Um, But there's a bunch of other guys on the roster who if the team is healthy, shouldn't be playing at all. You cut the rotation when you're in the playoffs and he should be part of the rotation that gets cut. Um, If they're not healthy, which they obviously haven't been in 35 years, then, I mean, he could, I guess, have some matchup where he gets on the floor. But like, there's a reason that he was unemployed and that nobody had picked him up for a couple of months and why he signed for the minimum. And like, he, yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be playing when, when the team has any sort of health.
1: Okay. So like you said doing this on a Wednesday night on Thursday, the suns are in town. It's in Brooklyn on Friday. I mean, I would say need, I don't know, you can't say need at this point in the season, but a split would be nice You take a split, right? Is that, is that the goal? Yeah, for sure. That, especially with the injuries.
2: Yeah. That would be a, that would be a huge boost for them, especially in the standings. Cause if they, like, lose two, especially if Atlanta picks off the – they're playing the Knicks right now. Like, they could they – could, Atlanta has a chance to put a little bit of distance if the Celtics lose both of these, and that would be tough with 14 games left.
0: And they have the tiebreaker, right? That and they have the tiebreaker. Breaker. Like, yep. they're not going to catch Atlanta if they fall, if they fall a couple of games back, particularly yep. with how well they're playing. And the Knicks have – one of the two teams will lose tonight because they're playing each other. But uh, – and many others have pointed out. All three teams have gone 8-2 in the last 10. So, while the Celtics have been hot, they haven't actually really gained anything. And they're still only a game out of seven, a game out of seventh, right? And a game and a half or something. They're they're still right on the brink of the play-in. And losing those two games, you could really be back to looking at sort of Milwaukee in the first round or or the play-in. Although their schedule at the end is, again, not as difficult as as these two games. And so you would hope that they would be able to find it. But the real problem is just like, it looks like they're going to have half a team again. And it's just the whole year has been like this where they just can't get healthy and, and consistent. And if that continues, then they're going to lose because it's really hard to win when you've got half a team and and it's a different half of the team every night. It's just like, you know, spin the wheel at at which guys you get. So they have no consistency. They have, they just never get to a completeness. Um, So I would take a split. Yeah. Easily. Crazy.
2: The good news news for the Celtics is that the Suns are playing the Sixers tonight and it's a pretty close game. So maybe, uh, maybe some fatigue. We'll, We'll see.
1: But it takes some fatigue. Although, I mean, you, you could just roll out Booker at the Garden and, and four <laughs> scrubs, and he'll drop 80.
2: But he lost last time, so.
1: That's true. He's like the the, Western, the Chris Middleton of the Western Conference. Whenever he's <laughs> up against the Celtics, it's just a bloodbath. Okay, yeah, I can't believe we're, we're at the point where we're scoreboard watching with the Hawks and Knicks. <laughs> what a time to be alive. You should disappear again, Ryan. I think that, I, <laughs> I think that's the only way to deal with something like this. Tempting. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We will, uh, guys and girls, we will talk to you soon.